Welcome to The Nature of Florida, the Sunshine State's only podcast dedicated to its wild and natural places and the fight to preserve them. I'm your host, Oscar Corral, a two-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker and journalist. I've dedicated much of my career to making films about environmental issues. Tune in each week to hear from a broad range of voices, from scientists to surfers, activists to mermaids, who are working on the front lines to save what's left of Florida's natural beauty and its wildlife. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Nature of Florida podcast. My guest today is Jim DuRocher. He's one of the leaders of the Florida Rights of Nature movement, which is trying to establish legal rights for bodies of water and other natural places in Florida by going directly to voters through a ballot initiative to amend the Florida Constitution. It's a big ambition, but Jim is one of the people leading that efforts. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks for having me. So, Jim, tell me a little bit about the Rights of Nature movement. What is that? Well, it's just a concept that kind of accepts the reality that we are part of nature and nature is part of us and that we depend on her for our sustenance and that it it should have rights just like the rest of us do. Uh, give me an example, like for example, uh, a river or a place that you think um, should have rights. Well, if if you don't grant rights to a river, how do you expect it to survive? And several countries have already done this and to protect their indigenous people there and their livelihoods. But without a right to maintain its ability to, to live and function, it's, it's not going to be able to sustain the, the people that need to live and use it as in the right way and uh, continue on. It seems like the rights of nature movement is a last ditch effort to protect wild places that are still with us. Uh, why is it a last ditch effort, Jim? What, what's, what's happened and what hasn't happened with nature over the last 50 years in Florida? Well, when I go back to when I was in graduating high school, they passed the Right to Clean Water Act and Clean, Clean Air Act and Endangered Species Act, all those passed around the time I was getting out of high school. And I thought things were going to be better. But we're 50 years later now, Oscar, and things are in every measurable way that we can do. The environment is in worse condition today than it was 50 years ago. Um, there's a few rivers that aren't on fire anymore. There's the air in some cases is cleaner, but Overall, there's so many more chemicals and so many more pollutants in, in the air and water. You know, we've got lots of regulations. There's federal regulations, there's state regulations in every state, um, but they just haven't properly been used. So what's the Rights of Nature movement all about? What are you trying to accomplish? We want a living world that will support our lives, and we want to be joined in that life with the ecosystems and the animals and the plants and everything else that's on this planet. So it's a little bit of creation care. You know, it started a long time ago. There was a lot of, you know, Greek and Roman and Chinese philosophers that had um, good thoughts and understood nature. And then we went through the Middle Ages and I think we forgot about a lot of that stuff. And then the indigenous peoples have known this for centuries and have practiced it and survived quite nicely. But then when they got colonized, when most of them got colonized, a lot of that 
knowledge and information and support got got uh, removed and we're just in a, a it's interesting that you said last ditch effort because i feel that way after 40 years of regulatory work that i've been involved in i don't know about you but i feel strongly that environmental issues such as clean water and clean air should not be partisan issues i feel that they are universally human that everybody needs clean air and clean water to live and when I hear issues like that get politicized in partisanship, it, it kind of makes me sad because these people that are making it a partisan issue are clearly, clearly not, not representing the best interest of air and water. They're representing the best interests of corporations and of people who want to skirt regulations to be able to pollute as much as they want and make money doing it. And I think one of the challenges we have is to wrestle back the issue of clean air and clean water and environmental issues from the clutches of partisanship and bring it back to everybody else. Because I, I think that no matter if you're listening to this podcast and no matter what party you belong to, you're going to relate to what Jim is saying, because he's talking about advocating for clean air and clean water. We all need to eat. We all need to breathe. We all need to drink water. And these are things that they're not partisan. They're, they're human. And so how do you do that, Jim? How do, you, how do you start to wrestle back that issue of environmentalism and conservation back from the clutches of partisanship? How do you do that? Well, it's very difficult right now in, in this uh, situation but, um, that we're in, unfortunately. But we did pass a right to clean water amendment in Orange County in 2020. We promoted it as nonpartisan. And like you said, clean water, everybody needs clean water. Even the creatures need clean water. The rivers need clean water to survive. So uh, Jim, you know, that, that, that amendment that was passed in Orange County in 2020 for a right to clean water, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the largest municipal approval of such rights in the United States at that time? It is. It's the largest jurisdiction in the United States that passed the rights of nature law. What percentage of voters voted for that? Well, it was only 89% voted for it, Oscar. <laughs> 89% of people voted it, for clean. This it, is not a partisan issue. Well, this is universal. 89%. What else gets 89% of people support? Nothing. I checked and I checked on every voting thing in Florida that went in 2020. Nothing passed with 89%. Nothing. Nothing past with eighty nine percent. People, people, they just—they don't just want clean water. They need clean water. They, we need and, it. I mean, that—that—that—that. That, that, that there's no alternative to that. You're not going to drink Gatorade because Gatorade comes from water. Everything comes from water. You need clean water. So I, I hope that people listening chuck partisanship aside. I don't care what party you belong to. Right? It doesn't matter to me. This is what matters to me is that you have clean water, clean air, and and I think that vote in Orange County in 2020 proved that this is not a partisan issue. And I think when you put it in front of voters in a very simple way, they will choose to, to vote for clean air and clean water. Absolutely. They, they, you know, it's 40% Democrat or 40 something percent, 40% uh, Republican and 20% independent and a few that aren't affiliated at all. So to get 89%, you know, you had bipartisan approval. Of and course you did. 
So tell me about this, this grassroots network around the state that's trying to bring this uh, amendment on the ballot. Okay. Well, we, we started out in the counties and we wanted to do counties and cities and things. But then the state snuck in a little paragraph in Senate Bill 712 that actually put a preemption, um, which is another thing that this, this amendment could help us with is some of the preemptions that the state legislature is doing. It's funny that the state legislature want, doesn't want the federal government interfering with the state, but then the state is absolutely fine with interview, interfering with all the local municipalities. So because of that preemption, we decided to go on a, on a statewide basis and change it at the state level. Was there any one preemption in particular that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back and the tipping point that got you to do this? Uh, yeah, the, the, the one in 712. What Senate happened? What, it, 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 there's a little clause in this bill that was supposed to be the Clean Waterways Act, which it really lost all its, uh, most of its good qualities as it was going through committees. But in fact, many of the environmental organizations actually recommended a vote of no on it at the end. But in there, they put this paragraph that says a community cannot grant rights to a, a tree or a river or water body or natural ecosystems or anything like that. How cynical that a bill named the Clean Waterways Act <laughs> was so corrupted in backroom deals that environmental groups were telling legislators not to vote for it. Because what it did is it basically expanded polluter rights. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, that that's how politicians are getting away with with these horrific laws and these these terrible corrupt practices, in my opinion, which is that they are they are masquerading them behind these names, such as the Clean Waterways Act. And what they're doing is the exact opposite. They're enabling polluters to continue to pollute and, and even do worse pollution under the names of these bills. And then when they sell it to their constituents back home, they go on a radio show and they talk about the Clean Waterways Act they helped pass. And their, their constituents have no idea what was in this bill because it was so watered down with corrupt interests that it never, it never reached that level of, of effectiveness that it actually provides clean waterways. In fact, it does the opposite. Right. So, so a lot of it is a public relations stunt that these lawmakers are pulling to try to continue to just enable polluters. Right. Well, when we were campaigning on the uh, right to clean water in, in Orange County, many people didn't realize that they didn't have a right to clean water. They thought the Clean Water Act, the Federal Clean Water Act, granted them that right, but it doesn't because there's regulations that protect us, but then there's something called a permit. Mm -hmm. And the state has actually issued 23,000 permits in the last 50 years to pollute our waters. Those permits are granted by what agency? Do you know? Uh, mostly the DEP, I believe, is who grants those. So the Department of Environmental Protection, uh, from, from what you're saying, has granted something like 23,000 permits for polluters to pollute in Florida. Right. So it sounds to me like the Florida Department of Environmental Protection is really not doing a very effective job of protecting the environment. What they're doing is enabling special interests to continue to pollute and profit from their pollution. That's exactly what's happening. I, I call them the Department of Environmental Permitting. How did the Depa Department of Environmental Protection uh, go down this path? What happened there? What, what do you think happened there? 
Well, it didn't always, it wasn't always this way. You know, when I first moved back to Florida, I was actually born in Florida. But when I moved back here in 81, things weren't as bad. You know, you could go to the springs and they were crystal clear. They were blue and you didn't get an ear infection or get sick from swimming in them or have to worry about any other uh, contaminants or pathogens. But it really started probably in the Rick Scott era. Um, when he came in, he got rid of a lot of the water management district board uh, members that were scientists and things. Uh, a lot of people got fired. A lot of people retired early because they were being forced out because they were speaking up. Um, they weren't allowed to mention climate change. Then they, you know, instituted BMTLs, um, Basin Management Action Plans, um, and and TMDLs and you know, those are just measurements. So it pushes it down the road another 10 years. We're going to take measurements. Then we'll see where we're at. Mm. Well, we need to fix these problems now. In the documentary that you saw that I made, The Fellowship of the Springs, right? we talk about what happened when Rick Scott came to office and he, under his administration, the budgets for the Florida Department of Environmental Protection and the water management districts were cut by up to 70%. Just imagine the catastrophic nature of those cuts. Imagine any organization that has its budget slashed by 60, 70% over three years. That's destructive. It basically undermines anything that organization's trying to accomplish. And that's what happened with the Department of Environmental Protection and the Water Management Districts. These are regulatory bodies that used to oversee or that still oversee uh, pollution and permitting for polluters and for people who want to pump water. And those budgets were slashed so badly that these agencies in many cases were unable to continue to do that job. And then the scientists that you're talking about, which were on these boards are gone too. So they've been replaced with people who work for businesses and industries that profit from massive water use and massive pollution. Um, and in the case of DEP, their point, that, that head is appointed by the governor and the governor sets the agenda there. And right. we, we haven't really had a governor that is environmentally minded in the state of Florida in, in, almost almost two decades really it's been about at least 15 years and and that to me is is part of the problem that we our governors are they pay lip service to environmental issues but they're not really interested in it they're more interested in big business and developers and enabling them than they are in protecting the little we have left of florida's nature do you think the rights of nature could have an effect there and could maybe force some of these agencies to protect more well i have to believe that we can because otherwise I have to give up and I can't do that either. So we have focused the new amendment, the new state amendment focuses on the executive branch of the state government. Its whole focus is right there. What does um, the amendment say exactly? Like what, what would it, how would it accomplish what it wants to do? It holds the state executive office and agencies, basically they're responsible for maintaining the ecological systems in Florida. And what, what it does is it gives us a standing in a court of law to where any citizen of the state of Florida can bring a lawsuit and get their own expert testimony and bring a lawsuit to force them to do the right thing. And unfortunately, you know, we passed Amendment 1 back in 2014. And what the legislature did is they just took that money and they spent it other places. Jim, for our listeners, can you explain what Amendment 1 was and what it, what it was supposed to do? 
Well, Amendment 1 was to, was to provide conservation land all over the state and protect the corridors, the wildlife corridors. It was going to protect the groundwater. Um, it, was, it was a massive idea and plan to spend, I think it was $300 million a year to benefit the people of Florida and to keep the state healthy. And right, to buy, buy conservation lands all over the state. Exactly. Yeah, because if you know, for every acre that's developed, you have to have several acres that aren't developed to compensate for that development. This would have probably been a cure-all mm. had it been implemented properly. And so, what did the state do? They took that money and they they basically used it for other purposes. Yeah, some of it they didn't use at all. I think they uh, it, it's stored somewhere or they put it in a different account. But most of it got used for the wrong thing. They didn't use it to buy land and preserve areas. They actually used it to buy automobiles or paper clips and office equipment and things like that. It was just. It's, uh, it's incredible how much development there's been in Florida in the last 30 years. It's, it's one of the fastest growing states. It's gone from some kind of like smallish state to the third most populous state in the United States. It's growing by roughly a thousand people a day, right. maybe more now. And, and if you just, just fly over Florida or get on Google Earth and look at the map of Florida, there is very few parts that are not somehow touched by man, either through development or through agriculture or through some sort of land clearing. Uh, Florida is quickly running out of wild places. And if they're not already preserved, they, they probably, those places, the, the remaining places that are not already preserved will probably fall into some sort of development, either agriculture or development. And that amendment was in order to buy some of that land that was transitioning out of agriculture or, or maybe privately owned and not developed. Um, but the legislature decided not to do that. They, they decided to just forget about that amendment, even though they had a dedicated pool of money to do it and not buy conservation lands. And that's always been a mystery to me. Why, why would they do that? Um, why would they not take advantage of this? Do you think that there's a way that the legislature or the governor's office or the executive branch can maneuver around the rights of nature amendment if it gets passed? I hope not. I don't think so. You know, the difference between Amendment 1 and the Right to Clean and Healthy Waters Amendment is, is that we needed them to do something in order to, to make Amendment 1 proper and work. But this is, this is the other way. If they don't follow the rules, then we go after them. Mm. And it's a, it's a little different scenario. So, you know, we can force their hand um, and hold them accountable to stop, put an injunction against something that is happening or to, you know, change the rules or and, and spend the money to actually have to fix it. And how is that campaign going right now? We, uh, we were trying to get one done for 2022, but we started so late after they, they, they really, the, the reaction to that Clean Waterways Act and the 712, that little paragraph they put in there to try to stop us, was really done because of what we were doing in Orange County. The, the state legislatures heard about what we were doing, so they put this, they slapped this in there. We think it's unconstitutional and won't hold up eventually, but in the meantime, and there is one community, the community of Titusville, is actually um, going ahead with a city ordinance or a city initiative campaign to get it there. But the statewide, once we got going with that, we're, we're um, 
we're gonna we're gonna do the whole state with this and and do all 67 counties is that for the 2024 ballot then no it's it is the 24 ballot yeah the, the 24 ballot okay. we, we we actually ran out of time and we weren't going to get there so we regrouped um we've got a new amendment for 2024 we think it's much much better um one way it's better is after we get one fourth of the petitions done, which would be 221,000, then the Supreme Court has to review our amendment. And we we think we've got an amendment now that the, the state Supreme Court, even though they may be a little one-sided on some things, we think that they're going they're to have a hard time finding something wrong with the new amendment that we're mm. proposing. And so we'll need 900,000 signatures. So we're going to need a tremendous amount of help around the state to do that. So you need 900,000 some signatures to get this on the ballot in 2024. And you have uh, volunteers, from what I understand, in different parts of the state who are leading those efforts in those parts of the state, right? Right. Yeah. And, and we're going we're gonna to launch this campaign on April 21st. On April 21st. And you're leading this initiative in the uh, Northeast Florida area. What part are you leading it in? I'm, I'm in East Central Florida. East so Central I have Florida. eight eight counties in the East Central part of Florida or uh, what I work on. It's funny that you mentioned Titusville trying to pass a local ordinance to protect nature. It seems like there's kind of a groundswell of people all over the state, regardless of their political partisan backgrounds that are that are very interested in, in improving the environmental situation in Florida, because I think people are realizing that it's, it's not partisan. This is something that's affecting everybody. You know, when you go to your favorite beach and it's covered with algae or your favorite spring and it's green instead of blue, or you see manatees washing up dead in the news, or, you know, you hear about cancer clusters in Florida because the groundwater is so polluted. Uh, These are, these are issues that affect everybody. So tell me about this groundswell, Jim, how how did you get into all this environmental work? What's your background? Oh, well, one of the groundswells is the, the Libertarian Party in Brevard County just uh, signed on with uh, with the Titusville group, and they're helping them with that program. So where where I got, I probably got started in the Cub Scouts when I was in Miami growing up, and there was trash everywhere. And I did a collage for a Cub Scout merit badge thing, and uh, it was um, on litter. And that's probably what got me started. So I was I was probably eight or nine. And then I got into the later I got into animals and, you know, I've always loved animals. And, and uh, Marlon Perkins was a huge influence on me growing up. And I got to meet him year, many, many years later. Who's that? Marlon Perkins. It was uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Oh, right. That's right. And, uh, yeah. Best, Jim, one of the best nature shows ever. Yeah, I think so too. And Jim Fowler was his sidekick. And when he got that job, I was like heartbroken because I thought it was going to be me. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't grown up enough though. And so uh, throughout your life, you know, you're somebody who's, who you were environmentally aware from when you were a young, a young person. How did you maintain that consciousness throughout your, your life? Because people live busy lives they're, you know, they have, they have their, their jobs, their families, their, their responsibilities. And for them, sometimes environmental issues fall by the wayside, but how do you maintain awareness? How did you maintain awareness and, and some sort of connection through, through your, through the years? Well, being outdoors a lot, I guess, uh, camping and, and kayaking and things like that. And then 
later, I started a company called Space Coast Kayaking. And uh, so I did kayaking tours and I did the uh, uh, Florida Master Naturalist program and I uh, used to help out with that in Brevard County. You know, so that got me into a whole nother level. And then the eel program in Brevard County, um, I was on the REAC committee for the endangered lands program in Brevard County. And, you know, one thing led to another. And then I was a conservation chair for Audubon, uh, Space Coast Audubon. And the, the, the people I hung out with are so inspirational. Being around some scientists and biologists and stuff just really piqued my interest. Although I had to maintain a lifestyle. So I was a property manager by trade. And, uh, and I just would try to do all that on the side until I was able to start the kayaking business. I think, I, I don't think we give enough praise to people on the scientific front lines who are doing the research and letting us know what's happening and then trying to spread the word about it. I, I think those are, those are brave people. They're often idealistic. They're people who are trustworthy and, uh, and we got to give them more credit and, and, and more credibility and listen to them a little bit more because they're trying to tell us something, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll help us live. Exactly. And Jim, what do you see in the future? You need to be an optimist to be part of this campaign. What do you see in the future for Florida environmentally? Um, well, I, I wish I was more of an optimist, but I'm hoping that we can get this through and that there's going to be a paradigm shift and that people will finally realize that we're, we're losing too much. Um, we're going to have to control the numbers in Florida somehow, either by building permits you know i know uh they were trying to get it to 30 million and i just don't think that florida can survive with 30 million and then another 100 million every year coming in for vacation 30 million residents you mean permanent yes. residents yeah. yeah that's that was rick scott's plan when he came in yeah i think that's just an abstract number i think florida's giving warning signs that it's it's strained naturally right now Oh yeah, and uh, you know it's it's going to be difficult to stop development or curb it, but I definitely think that there's a lot more room for responsible development, and for people to develop in a way that's more uh, naturally minded, um, and 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 I think uh, consciousness is the key. People need mm -hmm. to know what's going on and need to know you know how to get involved. On that note, where can people visit to sign this petition this uh, for this amendment that you're trying to pass? It'll be Florida right to cleanwater.org and they can go right to that and sign up to be an ambassador which an ambassador is is somebody that just wants to do a little extra and collect petitions or help us verify petitions or turn in the petitions for us whatever and so we'll have a lot of opportunity for people to help us and Did you say uh, that's in florida right to cleanwater.org yes Florida right to cleanwater.org. If you want to get involved and, and take part in this campaign, uh, that's the way to do it. Uh, Jim, anything else you want to add before we, uh, before we go? Well, we, we still have incredible beauty in Florida. We, we have magical places. I mean, I, I was at one yesterday. I, I went out kayaking and we did some videos for the upcoming uh, launch. And just, you know, magic cypress trees on a beautiful lake and a blackwater swamp and we've still got a lot of these areas and we've got a lot of land protected but um we've got to do more and, and we've got to control some of the excess that we seem to have fallen into as a as a race and and we can turn this around and protect what we've got 
And on that note, Jim, I want to thank you for participating today and for being here on my podcast. And I wish you luck with this campaign to pass this petition. Thank you, Oscar. This episode of the Nature of Florida podcast was brought to you in part by the Felburn Foundation, the Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida, and Explica Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, remember to subscribe on our website, The Nature of Florida with Oscar Corral.buzzsprout.com. That's The Nature of Florida with Oscar Corral.buzzsprout.com. Or find us on your favorite platform and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.